T.S. Eliot, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Thomas Stern's Eliot is claimed by both British and American literary canons. He was born an American in St. Louis and graduated from Harvard, but later became a British citizen and member of the Church of England. If you've ever seen the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cats, you know his work already. His book, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, provides the lyrics for all the songs in the show except the pop hit Memory. Eliot was also famous as a critic and wrote nearly a hundred literary essays and reviews. Many of these helped establish the literary movement known as New Criticism, which was very prominent in America until about the 1960s. New Criticism sees literary works as embodying paradoxes and ironies held together in tension. Organic unity is one of the New Criticism's key concepts, and the interpretive school focuses on the literary work by itself, without regard to the author's biography or psyche, as we might see in, for example, psychoanalytic literary theories, and without regard to the cultural and historical events of the time at which the work was produced, as we see in New Historicism and Cultural Criticism. The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock is a very early poem from about 1910-1911, so Eliot was only about 22 years old at the time. It is in the form of a dramatic monologue, as we've seen in Robert Browning's poetry. The speaker reveals his character through a soliloquy. The poem at times also draws on the French Symboliste school of poetry that emphasize startling images, as, for example, the lines about the pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. There is much ironic self-examination in the poem, and I'll have more to say about that after we hear the poem. I think we can manage to read it all. It begins with a memorable simile. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. Let us go through certain half-deserted streets, the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap hotels and sawdust restaurants with oyster shells, streets that follow like a tedious argument of insidious intent to lead you to an overwhelming question. Oh, do not ask what is it. Let us go and make our visit. In the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. The yellow fog that rubs its back upon the window panes, the yellow smoke that rubs its muzzle on the window panes, licked its tongue into the corners of the evening, lingered upon the pools that stand in drains, let fall upon its back the soot that falls from chimneys, slipped by the terrace, made a sudden leap, and seeing that it was a soft October night, curled once about the house and fell asleep. And indeed there will be time for the yellow smoke that slides along the street, rubbing its back upon the window panes. There will be time, there will be time to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. 
there will be time to murder and create, and time for all the works and days of hands that lift and drop a question on your plate, time for you and time for me, and time yet for a hundred indecisions, and for a hundred visions and revisions before the taking of a toast and tea. In the room the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. And indeed there will be time to wonder, do I dare and do I dare? Time to turn back and descend the stair with a bald spot in the middle of my hair. They will say how his hair is growing thin. My morning coat, my collar mounting firmly to the chin, my necktie rich and modest, but asserted by a simple pin. They will say, but how his arms and legs are thin. Do I dare disturb the universe? In a minute, there is time for decisions and revisions which a minute will reverse. For I have known them all already, known them all, have known the evenings, mornings, afternoons. I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. I know the voices dying with a dying fall beneath the music from a farther room, so how should I presume? And I have known the eyes already, known them all, the eyes that fix you in a formulated phrase, and when I am formulated, sprawling on a pin, when I am pinned and wriggling on the wall, then how should I begin to spit out all the butt-ends of my days and ways, and how should I presume? And I have known the arms already, known them all, arms that are braceleted and white and bare, but in the lamplight, downed with light brown hair. Is it perfume from a dress that makes me so digress? Arms that lie along a table or wrap about a shawl, and should I then presume? And how should I begin? Shall I say I have gone at dusk through narrow streets and watched the smoke that rises from the pipes of lonely men in shirt sleeves leaning out of windows. I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. And the afternoon, the evening, sleeps so peacefully, smoothed by long fingers asleep, tired, or it malingers, Stretched on the floor, here beside you and me, should I, after tea and cakes and ices, have the strength to force the moment to its crisis? But though I have wept and fasted, wept and prayed, though I have seen my head, grown slightly bald, brought in upon a platter, I am no prophet, and here's no great matter. I have seen the moment of my greatness flicker. And I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. And in short, I was afraid. And would it have been worth it after all? After the cups, the marmalade, the tea, among the porcelain, among some talk of you and me, would it have been worth while to have bitten off the matter with a smile? to have squeezed the universe into a ball, to roll it towards some overwhelming question, to say, I am Lazarus, come from the dead, come back to tell you all, I shall tell you all, if one, settling a pillow by her head, should say, that is not what I meant at all, that is not it at all. 
And would it have been worth it after all? Would it have been worthwhile after the sunsets and the dooryards and the sprinkled streets, after the novels, after the teacups, after the skirts that trail along the floor, and this and so much more? It is impossible to say just what I mean. But as if a magic lantern threw the nerves in patterns on the screen, would it have been worthwhile if one settling a pillow or throwing off a shawl and turning toward the window should say, that is not it at all. That is not what I meant at all. No, I am not Prince Hamlet, nor was meant to be. am an attendant lord, one that will do to swell up progress, start a scene or two, advise the prince, no doubt an easy tool, deferential, glad to be of use, politic, cautious, and meticulous, full of high sentence, but a bit obtuse, at times, indeed, almost ridiculous, almost at times, the fool. I grow old, I grow old, I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. I have seen them riding seaward on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves blown back when the wind blows the water white and black. We have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed with seaweed red and brown till human voices wake us and we drown. End of quote. I mentioned ironic self-examination, and a good fairly recent example of this is the television show Seinfeld, famous for being a sitcom about nothing. Seinfeld features a similarly detached voice and endless worrying about trite details, as if the characters have much time on their hands, which is also the case with Prufrock. I also see parallels to some of Woody Allen's films, as the character that Alan plays in some of them is quite reminiscent of Eliot's Prufrock. J. Alfred Prufrock, the name itself sounds more than a little pretentious. He is a character who, like some of Woody Allen's characters, overthinks everything, fears to be misunderstood, and agonizes whether to ask questions or not. He is indecisive. Note the Hamlet references. Prufrock is concerned with appearances, whether people will see his bald spot, what face to put on, and so on. He's constantly worrying about disturbing the universe, obsessed with trivia and social rituals that pin you to the wall like a bug. Parts of the poem remind me of Simon and Garfunkel's early song, The Dangling Conversation. There's a sense of ennui, a dull, listless feeling from a lack of energy or purpose. Does Prufrock's life have a purpose? It's hard to say what this might be. He wanders aimlessly like the women who come and go, talking of Michelangelo, the artist who is such a cliché that everyone knows him. He even second-guesses himself, wondering whether it would have been worth it to have said something or done something, almost anything. 
In the final imagery of the poem, Prufrock is fascinated by the mermaids who seem to be a blend of humankind and nature and who hold an erotic attraction for him. But again, he's filled with doubt and thinks that they do not sing to him. He worries about whether to embrace the sensuous side of life, represented by the peach, a very sensuous fruit. He worries about being only a minor character in a play, much as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are in Hamlet. These are the attendant lords who swell a progress, start a scene or two, advise the prince. The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock is a wonderful poem for depicting this modern sense of purposelessness and existential angst, this ironic detachment and sense of indecision. The lines, though I have seen my head grown slightly bald, brought in upon a platter, I am no prophet, and here is no great matter, refer to John the Baptist, whom he imagines himself to be, but even here he notes that there would be a bald spot on the head and that he's no prophet. He keeps fearing that he will be misunderstood, and yet his monologue is so articulate that it makes us understand him very well. Prufrock is almost a poster child for 20th century literature. There is a whimsical song by a Canadian band, Crash Test Dummies, called Afternoons and Coffee Spoons that really captures this, a song that you can find on iTunes, among other places. It includes these lines. What is it that makes me just a little bit queasy? There's a breeze that makes my breathing not so easy. I've had my lungs checked out with x-rays. I've smelled the hospital hallways. And the chorus goes like this. Someday I'll have a disappearing hairline. Someday I'll wear pajamas in the daytime. Afternoons will be measured out, measured out, measured with coffee spoons and T.S. Eliot, end quote. This song conveys much of the spirit of Eliot's proofrock character, certainly not a hero in the conventional sense, but a 20th century anti-hero, a middle-aged, balding man who's afraid to embrace life, afraid to eat a peach or disturb the universe, who wears the bottoms of his trousers rolled.